Well, today uh, we come to the end of our Epiphany Sermon series, Jesus Revealed, where we've been looking at some of the sayings and the signs that Jesus gave to his disciples in the Gospel of John in order to make himself known and to reveal his glory to the world. And each week throughout this series, we've looked at either something that Jesus said or some miracle that Jesus performed, which served as a sign and pointed us to some truth about Jesus's life and some aspect about his ministry here on earth. And in each of these instances, Jesus' disciples and the followers, they learned something new about him, about what he could do and about what he was really all about. And so today, as as we come to the end of this series, I want to conclude and to summarize all that we've heard by highlighting a very important truth about the nature of signs, which, if we fail to understand, has the potential to make this entire series that we've been in absolutely pointless, and perhaps even worse than pointless, to make it actually counterproductive for our lives. Understanding this truth is the difference between this series being beneficial or being detrimental to our lives of faith. And that truth about signs, which was just wonderfully demonstrated for us by our kids, is this. That a sign is something which is intended to point beyond itself. A sign is something that indicates the reality of something else or of something greater. A sign in and of itself is never the point. The point is always what the sign points to. Do you see that? Our kids understood that today. They didn't want this sign that we had to offer. They wanted what the signs pointed them to, right? It's always the intended purpose of a sign, to point to some greater reality beyond itself. And if we end up stopping and and only enjoying the sign itself, we will end up deeply disappointed and missing out on the even better reality that awaits. And the danger for us, and for anyone who reads the Bible or who hears the stories of Jesus, is that Jesus' signs were so great. They were so amazing, so glorious, so miraculous, so good and beneficial that it is very easy to stop at the sign. It's very easy to pay attention to the sign and to appreciate the sign and to be consumed by the sign, but to never move beyond the sign to what the sign was actually pointing them to. It's like if the North Carolina Department of of Tourism was wanting to advertise for the beach or or for the mountains, and they went out and they got the world's greatest artist to paint billboards, pointing travelers towards the intended destination. But the billboards ended up being so beautifully done. They were such masterpieces of incredible uh, works of art. That as people were traveling to the beach or traveling to the mountains, that they would stop on the side of the road in order to admire the signs and to take in their beauty. And then, having seen these great works of art, they would turn around and go back home, right? But satisfied with the wonder of the sign, they chose to forego the real thing. Yet in that case, 
Yes, they would have seen something beautiful, but they would have missed the, the far more glorious reality of rolling waves and sand-stretched beaches. <laughs> they would have missed the stunning sights of blue-ridged mountains and majestic scenic overlooks. The signs, as good, as grand, as glorious as they might be, are never what it is actually all about. They are always pointing to something bigger, something better, something more amazing beyond themselves. And in these signs from the Gospel of John, if we miss that reality, then we miss Jesus. And so in order for that not to happen to us this morning, I want to make two points about the series that we've been in and the signs that we've seen. I want to warn you of the disappointment and the danger of stopping at the signs, and I want to exhort you to the joy and the satisfaction of following the signs to their proper ends. And so if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me to John chapter 6, the beginning in verse 25, as we consider the importance of following the signs all the way to their proper end. So first, I want to warn you of the, the disappointment and the danger of stopping at the signs. Okay? This is an important and unfortunately a necessary warning. Because what we've seen in many of our stories throughout this series and in the passages that surround them is that people were often paying attention to the signs that Jesus was giving them, but they were missing the signs' greater purpose. We see it over and over again in the Scriptures. In the very first passage that we looked at, back in John chapter 1, when Jesus performed a minor miracle and told Nathanael that he had seen him under the fig tree before Philip had called him, Nathanael was amazed at that sign, and he replied with words of praise. But Jesus quickly responded to him, Because I said I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see even greater things than these. Jesus was telling him, don't be amazed at the sign. The sign is pointing to something even greater. We see it again in John chapter 2, which we didn't look at in this series, but, but after Jesus had dro- driven the money changers out of the temple, the Pharisees asked Jesus, what sign do you show us for doing these things? They wanted to see some miraculous sign from Jesus for him to to prove himself to them. To which Jesus pointed them to the future sign of his resurrection. But they didn't understand it. They wanted something flashy. They wanted something amazing. They wanted something now. They didn't want the deeper meaning. We see this dynamic a third time in the very next passage from John chapter 2 verse 23 where we're told that when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But we're also told that Jesus did not entrust himself to them because he knew what was in man. They were amazed at the miracles that Jesus was doing, but Jesus knew that they weren't really understanding who he was yet. The crowds were satisfied with the signs, but they were missing what the signs were ultimately pointing to. In John chapter 6, we see a similar event. When after the feeding of the 5,000, the crowds were were so amazed at what Jesus had done that they tried to take him and make him king by force. 
But Jesus, knowing that it was not yet his time, had to withdraw away by himself. The crowds were fascinated with the signs that Jesus was doing, but they weren't rightly perceiving what the signs were ultimately pointing to. And so, over and over and over again in the Scriptures, we see that the crowds are amazed at Jesus' signs and following Jesus because of His signs, but they're missing the deeper meaning of what the signs were actually pointing them to. And this dynamic eventually comes to a head in our passage today from John chapter 6, which takes place on the day after the feeding of the 5,000. The day after, everyone had, ha- had eaten and, and their fill uh, as a result of Jesus' miraculous multiplication. They all came looking for him again because they wanted more bread. But when they found him uh, this time, Jesus confronted them regarding the focus of their pursuit. And in verse 25, we read that when they found Jesus on the other side of the sea, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, You are seeking me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Now, Jesus is using his language here in a little bit of a different way than I'm using it in my sermon. And so I just want to clarify, because what Jesus is basically saying is, you didn't follow me because you understood the signs. You followed me because you've benefited from the signs. Or said another way, that you followed me here because you ate bread and it filled your stomach, not because you understood what the multiplication of the bread was actually all about. Or or finally, he says that you're here because of the sign and not because of what the sign was pointing to. And then Jesus gives them a very important warning. He says, do not labor for food that perishes but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. And this warning leads to the disappointment that we will inevitably experience when we focus on the sign rather than what the sign is ultimately pointing to. And as we look back over the course of this series, we can see how this is true in every sign that we've considered. Think about it. The first sign that we considered was when Jesus supernaturally told Nathanael what he was doing before he came into Jesus' presence. And then Jesus told Nathanael that through Jesus' life, Nathanael would see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus had basically given Nathanael a sign that he, Jesus, was the link to heaven. That when heaven needed to come to bear on earth, it would happen through Jesus. And that's incredible. But think about how quickly that sign would need to be repeated. If you find yourself in a pinch and you need help from heaven, Jesus could provide it. That's what the sign showed us. But what about the next time that you find yourself in a pinch? And, and, And the next time and the next time. The sign doesn't sustain It needs to be replicated over and over and over again to be of any real value. Or think about the next sign that we considered, when Jesus turned water into wine. He did this in order to cover the transgression and and to remove the impending shame that was coming upon the groom for having run out of wine at his wedding. And, And that was great. It literally saved the day. But what about the next time that the groom or someone in his family transgressed God's law or their society's laws 
and faced consequences as a result. They would be in the exact same situation all over again. They would need more wine or whatever the next equivalent of that would be. This is true with all of the signs in the Gospel of John. It's true of the sign when Jesus healed the official's son. But guess what? His son would have undoubtedly gotten sick again. It's true of the sign when Jesus healed the invalid at the pool of Bethesda. And as great as a, as a gift of that was for the man who had suffered for 38 years in his paralyzed state, eventually, ultimately, in his old age, his legs would fail him again. He would eventually need the first century equivalent of a wheelchair or a walker or, or whatever it might be. Ultimately, if he was fortunate enough to live long enough, he probably would have been bedridden again. That, that happens with old age. The sign was great, but it wouldn't last forever. And then there's the feeding of the 5,000, where we saw that the very next day the people came to Jesus hungry again. That sign didn't satisfy for 24 hours. Then there was the healing of the man born blind from John chapter 9. And I can attest that after the miraculous LASIK surgery I had 14 years ago, my eyesight is starting to fail again with my increasing age. I need reading glasses now. His, his eyesight, his newfound eyesight, would have eventually grown weak as well. Finally, there's the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And even that, which was intended to be the final and the ultimate sign in the Gospel of John, would end up being only temporary. Lazarus would die again. His sisters and their friends would grieve again. The sign wouldn't last forever. Ultimately, it wouldn't satisfy. And my point is this that the signs in and of themselves are never what it was supposed to be all about. As great as the signs were and as helpful as they might have been in certain situations, they were never going to last. They would never ultimately satisfy. Eventually, they were all, as Jesus warned, food that perishes. And as long as people were looking for signs, they were never going to be satisfied. They would always demand more and more signs. They would always need more and more signs. Do not labor for food that perishes, Jesus warned. As long as they were focused on the signs, they were going to be disappointed. And I wonder, how often do we, like the crowds in these stories, follow after Jesus because of the signs that we want Him to do in our lives? rather than because of the greater reality of what the signs are pointing to. I wonder how often we come to Jesus looking for what He can do for us, rather than seeking to understand what He has shown us about Himself. I wonder how often we're asking Him to, to prove Himself through the working of His signs in our lives, rather than trusting in the signs that He's already performed. I wonder how often... We come to Jesus asking for health, asking for provision, asking for design help, divine help from heaven in some area of our lives. How often do we come to Jesus asking Him to, to, to get our loved ones out of a jam or, or, or a bind that we find ourselves in? How often is the sum total of our relationship with Jesus all about the signs, what He can do for us? And 
please hear me. It's not that asking Jesus for help in our lives is wrong. He encourages us to do so. But I do wonder how often that becomes the sum total of how we relate to Him. That we come to Jesus because of what we want Him to do for us rather than simply because of who He is. And the question that this passage poses is, are we seeking after food that perishes? Are we seeking the signs rather than what the signs are pointing us to? The signs themselves are food that perishes. But we can experience them and have our full, and that is great in the moment when it happens, but it will always leave us hungry again. In and of themselves, they will not last. The purpose and the importance of the signs is that they point to something beyond themselves, something greater than themselves. And if we don't recognize that, we will end up disappointed. And ultimately, we won't just be disappointed. We might end up putting ourselves in danger. That's what ends up happening here in the rest of this passage from John chapter 6. When Jesus didn't give the crowds what they wanted, but when he didn't replicate the miraculous feeding from the previous day, but instead pointed them to the reality behind that sign, that he is the bread that they should be looking for and, and needed to consume in their lives in order to have life, they didn't like that answer. They weren't satisfied with his response. They didn't like the implications that that had for their lives. They didn't like what Jesus was offering them in himself. And so we're told in verse 60 and verse 66 that when Jesus' disciples heard what he had to say, when Jesus pointed them to the reality beyond the sign, that many of them turned back and no longer walked with him. You see, the crowds wanted the signs. They were only interested in what Jesus could do for them. They wanted what Jesus had to offer. They were treating him like, like a divine vending machine, right? I like the bread that I had the other day. I'll take more of that, please. Or, or, or the healing that we saw last week. That was really good. Let's get more of that. They were so focused on what Jesus could do that they were totally missing the point and the purpose of the signs altogether, which was to show them who Jesus was. And when Jesus wouldn't do the tricks for them anymore, when he wouldn't give them the signs that they wanted and demanded, they deserted him. They made the dangerous decision to pass up the food that leads to eternal life in order to chase after food that perishes. And as they left, Jesus turned to his 12 disciples and asked them, Do you want to go away as well? Do you want to leave me also? That's a haunting question that every disciple of Jesus needs to consider. How do you answer that question? When Jesus doesn't give you the sign that you're looking for, when he doesn't answer your prayer request in the, in the way that you want him to or in the time in which you want him to, but when Jesus doesn't meet your need, doesn't fill your desire, doesn't distribute the sign that you're looking for, how do you respond? Do you get frustrated? Do you get confused? Do you get angry? Do you get sad? Do you worry and, and question and doubt? Do you distance yourself from God as a, as a means of protection so that you're not disappointed 
again? How do you respond when Jesus doesn't give you the signs that you're looking for? Many of Jesus' disciples, when they grew disappointed that Jesus wouldn't give them the signs that they wanted, they deserted him. They passed up the food that leads to eternal life in order to chase after food that perishes. But some of Jesus' disciples, the twelve, they responded differently. When confronted with the question, do you want to leave me too, they had an entirely different response. For rather than focusing only on the signs, they were beginning to understand what the signs were all about. Rather than only focus on what Jesus could do, they were beginning to understand who Jesus was. Rather than being consumed with the signs, they were grasping what the signs were pointing to. And so when asked if they wanted to leave, Peter, speaking on behalf of the twelve, rightly responded, Where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. They didn't want to chase after food that perished any longer. They didn't want to keep seeking satisfaction around every corner. They wanted to find a satisfaction that endured. And they knew that it was only found in Jesus. They understood what the signs were pointing to. And as they followed Jesus' signs to their ultimate end, they began to experience the joy and the satisfaction of a life with Jesus that never ends. They began to grasp that Jesus isn't just a bridge that connects heaven and earth, which, which can provide, provide divine help when it's needed. But they began to understand the truth from John 17, 3, that knowing Jesus is eternal life. He, he's not a link to eternal life for when we need it. Knowing Him is life itself. In Him, we are heirs of it all because He is pleased to give us the kingdom. They started to realize that, that Jesus isn't just able to cover our transgressions and, and remove our shame with, with water turned to wine when we needed Him. They began to see the truth from 2 Corinthians 5, that Jesus would actually become our sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. That he wouldn't just remove our shame, he would make it so that there was no longer any condemnation for those who are in him. In him, there's no more shame to bear, ever. They were having their eyes open to realize that Jesus wasn't just someone who who could give health to us when we were sick, but instead that, that he himself was offering to be our health. So that as our life was connected to his, even when we do grow ill, in Him we can still be well. They understood that Jesus wasn't just giving bread that they could eat and then immediately become hungry again. But that instead Jesus was offering Himself as the bread of life. And that only He could satisfy us in a way that we would never hunger again. They could see that Jesus hadn't come just to give sight to the blind, but he, he had come in order to become sight for all who are blind, right? That He is our vision to the point that even when our eyesight fails in Him, we can still see the world clearly and rightly, often more clearly than those who can physically see. They began to understand that Jesus wouldn't just raise Lazarus from the dead in order for Him to die again, but that Jesus raised Lazarus in order to demonstrate that he himself was the resurrection and the life. And that whoever believed in him, though they die, yet shall they live forever. 
The 12 disciples saw beyond the signs. They saw through the signs. They saw what the signs were pointing to. That They were never intended to be about what Jesus could do, but were always intended to point us to who Jesus is. And when we grasp that reality, when we understand that our life with Jesus is not about what He can do, but instead about who He is, then we will never chase after food that perishes again. We will only want the food that leads to eternal life. We won't want what Jesus can do. We will want Jesus. And when we have Him, we'll experience the joy and the satisfaction of life in Christ, where like the Apostle Paul, we will be able to be content in whatever circumstances we encounter, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Whether we have enough wine at our wedding or not, whether our legs work and our eyes see or not, whether our health is well or not, whether our daily provision is abundant or not, whether we have life or not, no matter what we end up facing in life, we will have Jesus. We won't just have what Jesus can do for us, but we will have Him. And that will always be more than enough. Church, throughout this series, we've looked at the signs that Jesus has given us in order to make himself known and to reveal his glory in this world and in our lives. And my great prayer for us all, as we end this season of Epiphany and as we end this series on the signs from the Gospel of John, my great prayer for us all is that we will follow these signs all the way to their intended destination. That we won't labor for food that perishes any longer. But that we will seek after the food that endures to eternal life. And that in doing so, that we will find Jesus. And as we follow the signs to Jesus, let us simultaneously live our lives as signs for Jesus, always pointing beyond ourselves, seeking to reveal the glory of God in Christ so that all of the world may find that which endures to eternal life in Jesus. May we do so for God's glory and for our good. Amen.